Hello, I'm Lisa Kay. And I'm Taylor Cole Longacre. And this is Intentional, Intentional Talk. A show that cares and brings positives to the air. On Intentional Talk, we have been in a series of conversations with very wise and knowledgeable leaders about race and diversity. And today is no exception. Today, we're honored to bring with us Dr. James Pogue. Leadership and training are at the core of who Dr. Pogue is and drive his commitment to equip executives and professionals with thought leadership to communicate and manage effectively. His military service, scope of research, and work as a speaker and entrepreneur give him tangible examples of the critical balance between leaders and followers on teams. Dr. Pogue provides leaders with well-researched data combined with highly engaged training to improve their ability to impact behavior and the bottom line. So there's a lot more we want to talk about with Dr. James Pogue, but first just let us welcome Dr. James Pogue, who is an expert in diversity, inclusion, leadership, and bias. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you to both of you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to an exciting conversation. To your point, these conversations are not uh, new, and I'm so grateful for people like you all that are that are pushing the ball up the hill and continuing the conversations and allowing voices like mine to be heard. Thank you so much for being here. Well, as we mentioned, James, you're an expert in diversity, inclusion, and bias, or DIBS. And, and right now our world is in turmoil. Um, you know, we've been at a tipping point for some time. So talk us through how you're helping organizations overcome the problems that we're facing today. Well, you know, the, the first thing with many of these organizations, particularly here recently, is a recognition that there's a challenge that they have to address as opposed to they should or could address. Um, whether that uh, intentionality or the emphasis is coming from um, members of their teams, whether it's coming from external environments, whether it's coming from their places of worship, whether it's coming from themselves and the person in the mirror, uh, their spouses, their children, who knows. But the impetus is different than it once was. And whether it is for business reasons, whether it is for personal reasons, whether it is for faith-based reasons, whether it's because my, my, your kids scratched and poked you enough to, and had you thinking about things differently. The, the, re, the reality is that there has to be a reason or something to cause it. And so with that recognition that happens, then becomes that, well, how do I do what it is that I think I need to do? And what is, what is it that I need to do? And that's when I start to get phone calls and people are saying, I need some help. And so whether we start with an assessment to say this is where you are and here are the challenges and here are some potential solutions for that or whether it's uh, from a perspective of executive coaching we just want to spend some time together and help get you more up to speed on what is happening within the context of your organization um, or something else so it can be a, there's a there's a, a few different uh, solutions or prescriptions for change that can occur either through folks like myself or otherwise but it starts with that recognition and then the willingness to put the resources to it. What do resources mean? Time, sometimes finances, and energy, and focus. If you have those resources or demand, and this, this change demands those kinds of resources, so you're going to have to find them somewhere. But in order to make the, the change that you want to make, I think recognition first, and then seek out and get some help, and then commit to executing on the resources that need to be um, uh, connected with in order to make the change happen. 
Yeah, that's that's great. And sadly, James, some organizations aren't even willing to recognize that there's a problem. But I, I think just really looking at ourselves and recognizing, acknowledging that if the least of these isn't well, if there is something going on with our team and not everyone is given the ability to thrive and to earn and to move it's towards success, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, and I think that to your point, uh, if I put out uh, about uh, some people don't see that there's a problem, if I put an even finer point to it, they might see that there's a problem. They just don't think the problem is theirs yeah. or they don't think the problem is theirs to fix. That's for them whoever they are. It's a, it's a women's, pro- it's a woman's problem. The women need to fix it. It's, it's a problem with dis- people with disabilities. They need to fix it, right? It's, it's their problem. It's the other's problem instead of, you know what? It's our problem. Yes. It's us. Yes. It's how we make it. It's how the collective makes it. It's how we join hands and walk forward together. Yes. It's, it's wanting the education of it too, to learn from it. Um, yes. And, and to your point, uh, Elise K, that, that education for many of us put, forces us to look at our own rearview mirror yes. and say to ourselves, I have not always done the right thing, whether it was because I didn't know or because I knew when I was, ah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't being the best person yesterday, but I can be a better person tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that has to be how we get better. We can't ignore what has happened in our pasts. Absolutely. And a lot can have to do with how you raised, raised as well. So, um, you know, lately organizations have made bold statements about their commitments to diversity. And some have even taken out um, advertisements. What are your thoughts on those public statements? I think that they, uh, they have to be connected to something else. Are they connected to the guts and spirit and mission and values of the individual leaders and the organization? Uh, Are they connected to the changes that we're gonna make subsequent to making this statement? Are they connected to the people that work in uh, and and our teammates uh, of of the organization, partners and advisors and suppliers of the organization? Or is it just words? I think words are important. But when it's just words, it's a bit insulting, isn't it? And I think that we, it, 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 to the extent to which it's connected to other things, a step in a continuing process, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. And James, I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, I'm not a racist. You know, I'm not that way. I've got a black friend. I've got a, you know, a brown friend. Uh, and so, so based on a conversation that you and I had not too long ago, I was reminded that there are some terms out there that people don't really recognize how to um, ascribe to them. For example, racist, non-racist, and anti-racist. How would you compare and contrast those? Sure, sure. And, and I think part of what has happened is we've begun to jumble a bunch of words together to more or less mean the same thing. Bias, unconscious bias, implicit bias, prejudice, racism, uh, all of these are sort of jumbled together to kind of mean the same thing when they don't, because words are important, right? There's a difference between a mother and a stepmother. Both of them can love their children. Both of them can, can be connected to their spouses and be great and wonderful people, but they're different definitions. So what, what are we talking about here? So racism has a lot to do with power, while prejudice, for example, doesn't. So a person can be prejudiced, 
I don't like this group of people for reasons where I am prejudging them without knowing them, prejudging them based upon characteristics versus my depth of knowledge around them, whether it be skin tone or their gender or who and how they love or whatever their political affiliation is or their religious affiliation. I can be prejudiced, but if I don't have power or my group doesn't have power, then I'm not capable of being racist as the definition works. Racism is when a group or an individual has power over those that group or individual and executes their prejudgment with that power, right? So in, in from a group perspective, in the United States, the most empowered group happens to be our white male friends. Now, I know a lot of people may feel a little scratched with some of that, but I say that in love and compassion. I got some white guy friends. I think they're good people. In fact, we can't make the changes we need to make without all of the best players on the field. And some of those best players are some of our white guy friends. But in today's environment, our white male friends are the enfranchised group. Right. So when there when you have a, a say an Asian female who's in charge or who's making a statement or a set of statements that aren't nice, that are prejudgment care about another group, then we got something that's seriously prejudicial. But it might not be racist because that group isn't in charge. So now we have what racist is right now. Non-racist. Let's put that in a holding pattern for a minute and go straight to anti-racist. Anti-racist is when we are doing things to push against racism, actively doing something, raising my hand and saying, let's do something different. Let's talk about this differently. I want to learn more about it myself. I want to teach my children more about it. I want to shift and change policies. I want to shift and change programs. I want to engage people in dialogue. These are the anti-racist things. Now, the non-racist piece, depending on how I've asked probably hundreds of people this question, what do you think non-racist is? It can be one option, bystander. I'm just watching the world go by. I'm not engaged, I'm not involved. I live over here, that's not my business. I don't live in that neighborhood, I, I live in this neighborhood. Non-racist. Or it could be a plateau where I'm moving from this racist place and I'm getting myself smart. I'm moving from this prejudicial place to try to be more anti-racist. I just got to take a break for a second and get, get myself together. I'm just here in this in-between in space on my way. There's many people that I've talked to that said you are either it's either black or white. And they're not talking about skin tone. They're talking about you are either racist or you are anti-racist. You are hot or you are cold. And that you take any non-racist action, unpack it three levels, and you're facilitating anti-racism or you're facilitating racism. If you're not part of the problem, you're part of the solution. You know, there's that, that um, phrasing from some of our Jewish friends that, that when they were talking about the Holocaust, it said, when, when they came for my neighbor, I didn't do anything. When they came for my, my, the person across the street, I, I'm paraphrasing, they, I didn't do anything. When they came for me, there was no one to help me. The non space, the bystander space. My challenge to people is if you say that you want an anti-racist organization, business, family, place of worship, are you putting action and intention to your behaviors? If you're not, I think we call that lip service, right? That, 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 that's what I was taught on Wednesday at Bible study. Yeah. That's what somebody told me, right? You have to, you have to, have to, have to put your shoulder to the wheel. You got to lean into this thing and, and, and put some activity, some time, 
energy resources. It's, it's not easy to do. But most of the things it takes to be happy and healthy and successful and connected to other humans in a viable way are not easy to do. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's the wrong thing to do. I think we all know what the right thing to do is here. Yes, yes. I think you touched on something, James, is I think instead of unity, many people merely tolerate other races. They simply put up with others without any desire to actually get involved in in relationships. With that, if they don't know whether or not they're racist or non-racist, what would be your suggestion for them to go research and educate that part? Well, the first thing that I would do for myself is I look in the mirror and say, based upon what I know, what do I think of me and my behaviors? Based upon everything I think I know. Then I'm going to go to my internal circle of friends, the ones that know me the best. And I'm going to ask them, what do you think of this person? What do you think of me? When it comes to this, if we're going to use this lens of racist, non-racist, anti-racist, what do you think? Now, we don't have to go to Webster's Dictionary or Google or anything else for these things. These are just people that know me, my family and my best friends. And then if I need to, I can go look something up. I mean, Google's there for everybody. I think some, one of the things that has been interesting is that um, as, a, as, a, as a researcher and as an expert, I raise my hand and say, you can ask me. I want you to ask me. I'm okay with it. But w- sometimes what happens is with, we just go to the person who looks different or is different and says, tell me about your difference. You must be, have some expertise about it. I'm going to go ask a woman about woman issues because, you know, she knows more about it than I do. What if she doesn't want to talk to me? Exactly, James, because I'm, I'm frankly a bit tired when this first when when James Floyd was first murdered, I was asked a lot of questions and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I was nominated to be your advisor on racial issues simply because, you know, me because my own background is very varied and I've got all sorts of different things and how I was raised. And so I was frustrated. I appreciated the effort, but I became sure. frustrated in that I needed to be the person to try to enlighten them on race, racial issues and diversity and what's it like to be a black woman. It's, it's tough because then, you know, you got a, a person who is your friend, someone you care for and love, who has tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, can I talk to you about, you know, your thoughts on the George Floyd thing? But this is the fourth time you've been asked today. And, and, and enough. I'm not I, I can't do it today. Now, that person whom you love and loves you, they, they they get they don't get the best of you that day. Right. And they're just trying to learn. So now we've got two two people who love one another trying to do the best they can and neither one of them feel better after the interaction. So we have to uh, allow grace and grit to exist at the same time. You know, so I can say, Taylor, is it okay? Are we in a place where we can have this conversation? Taylor can say, not today. And I can say, ah, that's scratching me a little bit, but I'm gonna give you the grace. And Taylor's gonna say, James, I appreciate being asked because it's the fourth time, but I understand you're just trying to learn. So no hard feelings. I just, I'm just trying to deal with some stuff. So if you're going to, people, there are some people who did self-nominate themselves, people like myself, right? I've got a business that does this. Other people have businesses that do this, that have raised their hand and say, you can ask me. It's okay. I'll be ready when you're ready. But we have to be cautious. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll pause there because I think that that is necessary for folk to hear. And it's with really any issue. 
Right now, the racial issue has been thrust into our email accounts, into our screens, into our lives in ways where we didn't necessarily ask for this. You did it without my consent. Right. And now I'm forced to deal with it. It's, and, and maybe I'm supposed to. Maybe I should have years ago, but I'm being forced to deal with it now. OK, give me a little time to get myself right. I'm going to make some mistakes in how I approach this. Yes, right on. Yes. One uh, of the things you teach on is how to be comfortably uncomfortable. And as it relates to race relations, could you tell us a bit about what that means and how can we sure. strive to be comfortably uncomfortable? One of the, the questions I put out to people and I'll put it out to the folks that are listening here is out of 100% of the race related information you think you need to know. Out of 100% of the race related information you think you need to know. How much do you actually know? Now, before you give yourself a number, let me level set myself for you. I do this for a living. I read and research all the time and I find myself learning something new every day, if not every other day. I would put myself somewhere around a 60, 65%. I know what I was taught from kindergarten through high school. I know what I was taught in college. I know what I was taught in the doctoral program. I know what I was taught in my postdoctoral work. I know what my family taught me. I know what my friends taught me. And the maximum that I'm at right now might be 65%. I just found out the details of Tulsa two years ago. Yeah. It was in the, it was in the shadows of my mind as a learner, as a, an experience. I didn't know. Yeah. So that discomfort that comes to me as a black man comes to many people as black folks for, that don't know. Now, and that's just a black and white issue. We haven't, let's, if we get into our brown friends, right? It currently, if, if, we, if we believe even part of the numbers that are being uh, expanded about, there's 540 children who don't know where their parents are. Yeah that are hanging out uh, on our southern border. Now, forget about what we think about immigration, politics, and paths of citizenship, all of that. If you are a parent and that doesn't strike your bones, they don't know where their parents are. Imagine if you didn't know where your children are and they're six and they're 10 and they're 12. Yeah. For, for, for all other things notwithstanding, come on now, that, that's, gotta, that's gotta get in your spirit. It has to get in your spirit a little bit. Yes. So that's part of our race-related issues. What about the indigenous people and all the things that happened there? What about the other groups that came over from, from Europe? They weren't treated well and right. The Irish, the Italians, the Jewish, when they came over, our country is complex and has not always treated everybody well and right. That's part of our history. And those are part of the things we don't know. Mm -hmm. 65% for me. So... I want people to feel a little uncomfortable. It's all right. A little discomfort never hurt anybody. It's like when you go to the, to, to, to the gym, you get a personal trainer and sh her job is to make me feel uncomfortable. James, lift a little more, run a little faster. Uh, Ma'am, I'm done for the day. What I need you to do is five more. I said I'm done. I need five more. That's discomfort. That's how we get stronger. And one of the ways that we do that is through our, one, of, one of our opportunities for folks is what we call our, our no-nonsense experience. We get seven or eight people together and we take them through a curriculum where they talk about uh, issues related to race and diversity and inclusion and bias. And our facilitators help move them through this process. It's not easy. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable. But we do it in compassion and care and love. 
with the intention being that you're going to grow and you're going to take this information and feed it out or push it out to your family, your children, your spouse and others so that we can all grow together. Again, our country, our cities, our towns, our homes, our families have a bunch of different personalities and none of us know everything we're supposed to know. So we need to start to have these conversations. We say with the no nonsense experience, it's time to talk. Change is good. Change is good. We all need some changing. (laughs) (laughs) What steps would you say we as leaders could take to impact a more positive um, change in race relations, relations in our country? Well, I think, again, it starts at home, like many things do. It starts with the person in the mirror, as many things do. If you are a leader in your home, my suggestion to you would be to start to talk up with the people in your home about uh, where are we with this, right? Do we know what we're supposed to know? Is, are we going to say this is their problem? And if so, just say it out loud. Let's not play around with it. We're, we're going to say that these woman issues are women's problems. We're going to say that these brown people's issues are brown people's problems. We're going to say these black people's issues are their problems. Well, then say it out loud. Say who you are and own it. But if you know that that's not what you believe and you know that you want to learn and do more, then my suggestion is you start to talk about it. You can contact us and we can help you put you in one of these no-nonsense experiences. That's great. Many places of worship are doing the same thing. Many communities are doing the same kinds of things. I I push you and implore you to do this. This is how we get better as families, as communities, as counties, as states, and yes, within our country. We don't have to agree. We have to be able to talk. Right. We don't have to always be able to come to consensus, but we do have to be able to compromise. Right. We can't ignore what has happened in our country's history. All of it. Not just the parts that make you feel good. Not just the parts that that make people other my my competitors feel bad. But all of it. Right. When I've I've traveled internationally and uh, a lot of uh, my friends overseas are saying things like, it's America. Y'all are supposed to be better than this. We expect you to be better than this. And I say to myself, yeah, you're right. Right. And so we have some work to do. But if, if we all lean into it, do our part. Don't, don't, don't wait for uh, uh, the leader behind the, the, the big microphone to say, let's head north. You can say, let's head north. You, you lead your family. You lead your spouse. You lead your kids. Grab them by the hand and say, let's go north. Let's have this conversation as difficult as it might be. That's good, James. That's good. You've, you've reminded us that we, we can lead within our own small village, family, community, church, wherever we are um, empowered to have an influence that we can start with ourselves and then lead some around us and also recognize where we do have those biases and be willing to make those changes, those necessary changes. Definitely, definitely. And and, and I'll add one other piece that what has happened um, more than a few times is that let's imagine a bell shaped curve and you've got 15 to 20 percent on one side and 15 to 20 percent on the other side at the extremes. They are the ones that are holding and grabbing the microphone the tightest and speaking the loudest. The people in the middle need to speak up, say what's on your mind. 
You need to be as vocal as everybody else. You deserve to be heard, so act like it. You have a voice that you've learned to use, so use it. We teach our children, stand up for yourself and your beliefs, so do the same thing. Most of us agree most of the time on most things. So why is it that most of the voices we hear are from the extremes? Mm. How did that happen? Yeah. Right. And we can talk about how it happened. That's that's a viable conversation. But in the midst of that, speak up, speak your mind. Right. S- speak what you believe. And and then do it in a way where you are open to having your mind changed on some of these things. Sure. We all, some of us have some rock solid beliefs. You are not going to change my mind on this, James. I respect that. But that doesn't mean that you got to have to yell at me. You have to scream at me. I'm not a terrible person because I don't agree with you. I'm a person with a different opinion. You know, we hear uh, often um, you can have your own opinion, but you can't have your own facts. So a couple facts, as I mentioned, multiple groups, when they have come to the U.S. or those that were even born, the indigenous people there, whose people are here, have not been treated well, period. The level to which they were not treated well may differ. The time that they were treated well may differ, but that's part of who we are as Americans. That's part of who our country is. And that's a painful truth that we just have to accept. That's right. To, to, to know, not think, but know that of the three people on this uh, uh, sh- uh, show, on this, this this audio, this video right now, none of us were written into the Declaration of Independence to be able to vote. Yeah. All right. None of us. They, they, we weren't we weren't thought about as 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 people who had full ability. If you weren't wealthy and white and male, you didn't have all of the advantages that the country was offering. Women had to fight for their right to vote. And the history behind that is terrible and gross and traumatic. I heard a story. I was I lived in New York for a while. I heard a story about some women. they were doing women's suffrage work. And they would um, take some of these ladies who were protesting and whatever they were doing, and they wouldn't, uh, they would mistreat them in a variety of sort of unfortunate, terrible, traditional ways and quotations, but they would also pour lie down their throats. Hmm. If you're going to use your voice, we're going to take it from you. And then we're going to let you live and walk around the community as an example of what happens when women like you try to use your voice. If that doesn't, if that doesn't drive you to the polls as a woman, oh, vote for something. Yes, yes. Vote for something. We have the privilege now. Exercise our right. That's right. And, and if I don't like what you vote for, I get to vote for vote too. Yeah. And, and that's how it's supposed to work. And that's what other countries love about us. One of the things. We have the opportunity. There's a lot of countries that that look like they're free. They're not free. Belgium is free. Japan is not. Yeah. Right? So every place, Canada is free. Singapore is not. So we have to recognize our total history. Keep learning about it. Keep teaching it. You know, grab your kids by the hand and have them stand in line with you for those two or three hours that may take the vote. Mama, why we got to stand here? Because, you know, let me tell you a story. Oh, yeah. Let's use this time to tell a story. Yeah. That's fair. That's reasonable. It's the right thing to do. That's good. 
Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. James Pogue is founder and CEO of JP Enterprises. You can learn more about James at jamespogue.com. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we conclude? You know what? I really enjoyed this conversation. There, I, I love my work. Uh, I'm very invested in it. I hope that people, not only uh, that those that see, but those that hear, that there's, I, it's not, it, yes, I've got a passion for it, but I think you do too. You just don't know yet. I think you've got a passion for this work. It just, the lens hasn't been slid into your mind yet. Many of us are trying to learn more about this, desperate to learn more about this. We're very concerned, but we need to change that concern to confidence. Some of us are feeling issues of, of, of unease and we need to change that unease to comfort. Right. We have to go from I will try, you know, to I will do. Yeah. And, and, and take the next step. I have high hopes. I remain an optimist around all of this work. I know it's not going to happen tomorrow, but I believe that we can do it if we choose to take some steps and start to talk together. Absolutely. And we congratulate and commend you for all the great work that you continue to do, James, with organizations and really helping to shift perspectives and to bring about unity in our communities and our organizations. And so many of us are um, learning things through the places that we work. Maybe we didn't have the best family experience, but we get to work and work maybe validates or invalidates some of our beliefs. So the workplace is a very important place for us to see change happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can get it at work. You can get it at home. You can get it with your friend across the street. You can get it a lot of places, but get it. Okay. Yes. I would like to close, if you don't mind, with um, scripture. Would that be all right, Taylor? Absolutely. Let's hear it. Well, Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. I had a great time. Thank you, James. Thank you for joining us today on Intentional Talk with Lisa Kay and Taylor. Be sure to tune in to Intentional Talk anywhere you get your podcast and on my channel on pray.com. We're also part of Fellowship Power Lunch. You can learn more about that at fellowshippowerlunch.com. And then again, check out intentionaltalk.org on your web browser or anywhere that you get your podcast. Thanks for joining us.